Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the What Podcast, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. I'm Tara. And I'm Cassidy. Thank you so much for listening today. We have a very exciting show coming up. Jamie Goldberg, Oregonian reporter who recently moved from the soccer beat covering the Thorns and Timbers to the Trailblazers beat reporter for the Oregonian. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Have you and Jamie Hudson already worked out like how everyone what everyone's going to be called like do you have nicknames or like initials or anything like that you know we haven't worked that out and I'm pretty surprised because back on the Timbers beat there was a Jamie that came into the PR staff and I immediately decided to name him by his last name because I was the first Jamie but she's been very nice she she's called me Jamie she hasn't told me I have to have a nickname yet as the rookie so um, I'm pretty happy to be keeping my name (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, we usually get things kind of started with a little bit of an icebreaker uh, to get the show going. Uh, and today, we've been the Blazers have gone through a little bit of a rough patch. So we're thinking, what is your self care strategy after a tough game? And who wants to start? <laughs> well, I think everybody on Twitter probably already knows what mine is, and that is after a tough game, I turn to the Hallmark Channel and watch sappy Hallmark <laughs> movies. Um, which are like, they just kind of numb me and, uh, help me fall asleep. But I'm a little worried because the streaming service that I currently get Hallmark channel through is being, uh, is going away. And so I'm not going to have access to Hallmark. And the only thing that's like at all equivalent that I can find is lifetime. And I'm like, that's just going to stress me out even more. So I have to, I have to figure out some new strategy. So I'm really curious about what the two of you do. (laughs) Jamie how about you yeah um I obviously I think you know from a journalist perspective tough games are maybe a little bit different than it is for fans I think the toughest games for me are the the close ones where I'm trying to desperately try to write something late in the game um obviously it's tough when when the guys um aren't in great moods after the losses especially you know recently how it's been um but 
I think when it's been a tough day at work and I go home, um, my favorite thing to do is just cuddling. We, uh, with one of my foster dogs, we foster, me and my boyfriend foster dogs. So just uh, having a different dog around almost every week gives you a pretty good cuddle buddy to make you feel better after a tough uh, loss or a tough day at work. Oh, that's that the is cutest a- thing. answer. <laughs> Oh man, I I need dogs all around. Um, I definitely cuddle my dog as well. Uh, I think I I try to talk to other fans and try to figure out like how can we fix this? Like how how maybe how we how could this change? But then also at the same time, I like to rewatch games and then look for the good parts of the game, uh, just to kind of see like okay, these things went right. The rest, you know, didn't go great, whatever. But I try to find the the highlights, even if those are just bench celebrations to awesome plays. So, yeah. And Cassidy is a connoisseur of bench celebrations. So I I bet you find some some good ones. Yeah, definitely those uplifting bench celebrations are always needed. (laughs) But moving on, uh, Jamie, could you introduce yourself and tell us a, a little bit about how you came became a sports writer? Yeah. Um, so I've been interested in sports writing since basically I was in high school. I was on my high school paper back in the day was the sports editor there. I've played sports my entire life, which I think is what drew me to sports reporting in the first place. I played a little basketball uh, and, and I was a center in middle school and I was five seven, and then I was still five seven when I was a sophomore in high school. So uh, that's how my basketball career ended. Um But I played competitive soccer and I played softball in college. So I've always been really just drawn to sports and especially being able to tell stories that kind of take you away from the the field or the court, uh, things like that. I've always feel like as someone who played, I I sort of have that perspective of understanding all the things that go around sports um, and, and sort of seeing stories in that way. So that's what kind of drew it to me, drew me to sports reporting early on. I did a lot of internships, both in TV, radio, print throughout college. I went to the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism and and did more sports reporting there and came up to the Argonian. And after I came out of grad school, was covering soccer uh, for six years at the Argonian, both the Timbers and the Thorns. Uh, so was really delving into that. But I never really came to sports reporting expecting to cover soccer or or expecting necessarily to cover a specific sport. It was really just the stories around sports that drew me to it. So um, I was really excited at the opportunity to switch to Blazers. Obviously, it's really our biggest beat here at the Argonian here in Portland, uh, the most popular sport that's here. And um, I'm really excited to sort of bring a different perspective and I covered different players, a different team than I have in a while and hopefully be able to tell some uh, new stories. How did you prepare yourself for that transition over to the Blazers beat? Yeah, I I think in a way it was easier than going to soccer because I didn't necessarily follow MLS uh, growing up or or to begin with, but I've always followed the NBA. And ever since coming up to Portland, the Trailblazers are a really fun team to watch. So I've been to a lot of games. I already, of course, followed their playoff run last year. So I feel like I had more of a baseline coming into NBA than I had with uh, maybe going into soccer to begin with. But there's just been a lot of time uh, reading articles, uh, going back and reading everything from features to, to gamers from last year to history about the team, 
Um, just looking at everything that Jason Quick, Joe Freeman have written over the years and talking to a lot of NBA reporters as well. I, I've done a lot of phone conversations with my friends I know within the NBA, just asking about how you manage this beat, because I know particularly with the travel and the day to day, it's going to be very different. And I think that's one of the things that is going to be a big transition, uh, you know, going from city to city to cover games and things like that. So um, just a lot of conversations and a lot of reading and research, I, I think, over the last few months. You just came off of the end of the soccer seasons. And uh, I know we have not not everybody who follows Blazers Edge is a soccer fan, but I do know that we have a lot of them. Uh, do you want to say anything about like how the season went and what it was like for you knowing that you were going to have to turn right into something else? <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, a pretty difficult October overall because there was the overlap with the Timbers and Thorn season still going on and at the same time, I had made the announcement at the end of September that I was moving to Blazers and was beginning that as well. Um, I, I mean, I was covering Blazers from the day one media day on September 30th while still covering Timbers and Thorns and following those playoff runs, which were obviously short-lived for both teams. Um, so it's been a quite a balancing act over the last month. I think I'm glad I was able to do that just because I did spend so much time covering soccer and I really have an investment in that beat because of all the time and energy I put into it and all the fans and readers I met over the years. So I'm glad that I didn't just leave midseason. Um, it was a little bit surreal uh, walking away from my last game when that's really been my office at Providence Park for, for six years. Uh, but I'm excited to kind of come back to that next year, maybe as a fan, go see what it's like to actually sit in the stands for once. I, I've never done that with soccer. I have had that experience with the Blazers and the Moto Center, so I sort of know what it's like to be a fan, but I, I never had experienced that uh, perspective um, with Timbers and Thorns. So it'll be cool to do that next year, but um, it's been a difficult balancing act, but I'm glad that I was able to finish that season and at the same time managed to start the Blazers season at the beginning as well. So I wasn't coming into sort of either in the middle or, or leaving anything early. I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but you really have been with the Thorns since they first started, right? You were there when they first started? Yeah, I came in mid-2013, so I missed the majority of their 2013 season. I started my job right around uh, their playoff run, mm -hmm. so I was actually there for like their championship celebration and when they were honored at City Hall. Um, so I do feel like I've been there since the beginning for them, and I, I kind of feel that way about the Timbers, too. I wasn't, again, full-time till mid-2013, but... I was an intern at the Argonian in 2011, so I covered a lot of games during that summer with the Timbers inaugural season, and I did some freelancing for them when the Timbers were down in San Jose in 2012. So with both those teams, I've written stories in at least parts of every season that they've been in, in the uh, NWSL and MLS, so... Yeah, I've been with them for a while. That's well, and it's amazing because now you're coming to the Blazers, who are celebrating their fiftieth year. Yeah, and you know when you said that you had gone and like done all, you know, had been doing all this reading up of the uh, 
you know, the history that I was just kind of panicked on your behalf and for a minute going, oh, my God, that's 50 <laughs> years worth of stuff. Like, how do you even know where to start? Like, what are some of the uh, storylines that, like, really grab you and struck struck you that you think are important that, you know, maybe whether or not you highlight them this year, but you think kind of really characterized who the team is? Yeah, I think I had a general idea uh, of sort of the overview of the decades, uh, this, you know, winning the championship in, in 77, the sort of jail blazers era, the era where they were really good and they, they made it to the finals around 2000, but um, or made it to the West, yeah, Western Conference finals. Um, I So I, I feel like I had an idea uh, of some of the eras uh, of Blazers going into it. I think what's actually been cool because of the 50th anniversary is that um, the Oregonian is doing a series of sort of 50 people, 50 moments uh, in Blazers history. So we've sort of been brainstorming what 50 stories we can tell this year, whether I'm writing that or Joe's writing that or, or we're just kind of republishing archive material um, from back in the day. And so that sort of helped me, I think, with some of the research. I, I mean, what I've been working on recently is a story on Jeff Petrie, and that is definitely someone I didn't know anything about going in. Um, I, I know some of the great Blazers, but he wasn't someone that I knew offhand. And that's been really cool to see kind of him as the original Blazer, the first draft pick, kind of the superstar he is and how well-respected he was with his teammates um, back in the early 70s, even though he wasn't on that championship team and, and sort of injuries derailed his career. But that's the kind of thing that I think is exciting with just it being the 50th anniversary is that I, I think throughout the year, I'm going to learn a lot more that maybe even with um, general research and, and knowing the Blazers to some degree before coming in, I, I think it's going to be able to delve a lot deeper into the decades and the big moments uh, throughout this franchise's history. Well, that's awesome. So let's move on and talk about the current team. And uh, you've been around the team for about a month now. What are some of your original or, you know, early impressions? Yeah, I have been really impressed about how great the the players are to work with. Um, I, I think, and everyone seems to say it. So I, I guess um, I'm sort of lucky getting to cover the Blazers, but Damian Lillard for a superstar, how accessible he is for the press, how willing he is and thoughtful he is to answer questions and um, really give you more than a surface level answer. I was really surprised by that. And uh, apparently from everything I hear from other media members, you don't get that with a lot of superstars within the NBA. So um, us Portland reporters are pretty lucky to have uh, a player like Damian Lillard as, as sort of the superstar here with the Blazers. But all the players have been really great with the media so far the amount of access that you get in the NBA sort of league mandated is a really interesting change of pace for me. Uh, you definitely didn't get that much access around MLS players. I mean, I can talk to these guys almost every day. And so if I have a story idea, I can go out and write it. I don't have to wait to necessarily set up interviews and, and wait weeks or months to, to try to get formulate a story and put it together, uh, which I think is really cool for being able to tell um a bunch of different stories around the team. So uh, my early impressions ha have been really good and I'm really excited to sort of get going and continue going with this beat. You did a piece on uh, coach Yim. Is that, was that your byline? I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, where'd you get the idea to talk to him? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I wasn't the first person to write a, about his car accident, and I had seen it out there. That was something that I remember reading during the playoff run uh, to begin with. So in remembering that, not necessarily know what follow-ups there had been. I, I There have been follow-ups when doing my research. I'd seen some other reporters talk to him as well, but um, I was interested just remembering that from the playoff run last year of, how is this guy doing? Because I mm-hmm. am still in shock that he not only survived this car accident, but has made such a, a incredible recovery. And um, I had seen, I think, uh, a news alert about him running the Ironman too. So I just thought that that's just an incredible story. And I, I just want to learn more about him. So he was very accessible and, and happy to talk with me. And I think it was a good conversation. And I, yeah, it was a, I was glad to be able to write it. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. So you mentioned earlier that there are some differences in covering the two leagues. Uh, what other differences besides kind of accessibility are there? Well, it's kind of, I mean, it's going to be very different with the number of games. In a soccer season with only 34 games, you have one to two games a week. And so there's sort of from a, a journalism perspective, there's sort of a buildup for each game. There might be a preview uh, leading into each each game for that individual week. You might have a secondary feature um, sort of in anticipation of that game at some time during that week. And you definitely can't do that with the NBA. I mean, these games come at you so quickly that you can't be writing an individual in-depth feature for every, or preview for every game, sort of outlining the, the key points. I mean, we put up a quick preview um, for every game, but nothing sort of like the weekly buildup that you have towards one game in soccer. So I think that's a very different rhythm. Um, and it, in soccer, there is a sense of like each game is very, very important. And obviously I think in the NBA as well, each game feels that way. I mean, we're, uh, just a few games into the season. And I, I feel just from looking on social media that there, there's a lot of uh, uh, worry out there already, even though it's early in the season. Um, but you you can kind of have games in the NBA that are not as meaningful as others just because of the number uh, of games that there are. So I think it'll be different uh, just sort of learning that build up, seeing how you approach each game and quickly turning around to the next game. I think that's been a little bit of a transition so far, um, just in terms of finding time to do good coverage, telling stories like the one on Coach Yim um, or, or some of the other things I, I've told about players that sort of more behind the scenes while still putting in the coverage you want for each individual game, even though there are a lot more of them. And you spend a lot of time covering teams that have uh, rep- reputations of having crazy fan bases. You've got the the Thorns with the Riveters, the Timbers Army. How is the world of Blazer fandom different from those play- those fans? You know, I think it's probably very different, and I think that's something that I'm going to learn over time. I mean, the Timbers and Thorns fans were very active on social media, and I'm sure uh, Blazers fans are as well. But I, over time, I feel like I just 
got to know so many Timbers and Thorns fans just by communicating with them on social media. And I'm not necessarily there yet with Blazers fans. I think people are still wondering who this woman is that's coming in and covering this team. I am sort of an unknown, I think, to a lot of Blazers fans. So I think that'll grow over time. I think there's just so many differences with how a fan base sort of works in a basketball arena versus a soccer stadium. I I mean, in soccer, you have both uh, fan bases sort of leading the uh, sound for the entire stadium, standing up and cheering the entire game. And I think that I I haven't seen anything else in American sports um, really quite like the Timbers army. And I remember that feeling that way the first time I walked in, but Uh, The Blazers fans are definitely a passionate fan base from what I've seen so far. And I just think there's something so nice uh, and close knit about being inside an NBA arena that just kind of that you build that atmosphere. It's always I've always loved going to basketball games and especially with a fan base that's going to pack the arena. Uh, I'm really excited to keep learning more about the Blazers fan base. Did you have a chance to go to the preseason game at the Memorial Coliseum? I didn't go to FanFest, um, which was also there, right? But I went to the Denver preseason game. Oh, nice. Yeah. I felt like that was like an extra version of what it kind of is because it was all these really intense like fans that were so excited to be back there. And that was kind of a fun experience, I know, from the fan perspective. Yeah, I mean, that was just a cool game with Terry Stotts and the coaching staff sort of dressed up in their uh, 70s leisure suits and everything and having that throwback and having Bill Shomley there um, sort of giving a pregame speech. So that, I mean, that was just a cool event. Um, Obviously, unlike some fans who actually saw it back at Veterans Memorial Coliseum, I think I I didn't obviously know what the Blazers were like back then. I wasn't around, but um, I can't imagine for some fans going back there, it must've been so cool. So uh, for you said that not everybody knows who you are. They're still kind of, uh, you know, uh, getting to know you with the team. Uh, Like I said, that there are a lot of crossover fans. Um, But something that people might not know is that you have covered at least three championships, right? So the uh, Thorns have won two and the Timbers have won one. Um, So I want to know what your secret was to helping them and when can we expect a championship (laughs) for the Blazers? Oh man, I don't know. I don't know if I helped them at all. Um, <laughs> but what was that like, uh, you know, following championship teams? Yeah, I think in both cases, well, I, I think in the case of the Thorns, they they are sort of a dominant team. They're, they're a team that you expect to keep to compete for champions, championships year in and year out. They've been uh, to three championship games. They've won two of them. So you kind of anticipate every year that that could happen with the Thorns. They've only missed playoffs once and and the playoffs is just semifinals finals. So it always sort of felt with them any year that it, that it could happen. I think with the Timbers, it was very different because in 2015, um, there was like calls for whether or not they should fire their coach as of maybe August. Um, They were not doing very well. And, And so there was a lot of questions during that season about, is this a disappointment? Should they move in a new direction? Should they blow up this roster? And then all of a sudden they sort of come together at the very end of the year when it counts and they make this just improbable, crazy run, um, which I think all championship runs have to include. They had for fans that followed soccer, they'll remember this. If not, they had a sort of what they called the double post game. It went to penalty kicks and the 
what would have been the winning penalty kick for Sporting Kansas City bounced off both posts before bouncing out. And then the Timbers won on the next kick. So there's just all these crazy moments. But I, I think what I've learned covering championships is that you doesn't necessarily matter what happens during the year. Obviously, there has to be a baseline of where you're at. But the teams that win championships are the teams that are peaking at the right time. And I think you've seen that with when the Timbers made the MLS Cup final last year, when they won, when the Thorns have won. These are teams that are peaking at the right time. And even if there was ups and downs of the season, as there's always going to be, it's that final end of the season heading into playoffs that you sort of start to get that feeling of, yeah, this team can make a real run this year. You talked a little bit earlier about some of the uh, the Blazers players, you know, particularly Damian. Uh, are there any other players who have um, you've had a chance to spend much time with yet? Yeah, I did. Um, I did a story on Kent Bazemore about him and his um, family and how being a dad has sort of changed his perspective. He is really great with the media and um, seems like a really great guy that is really happy to be in Portland. Um, I, I've spent a little bit of time. I, I did another story, I think, on Anthony Tolliver. Um, I did another story on Scal and sort of his background. I, I know that's been written, but um, I talked to him a little bit about surviving the earthquake in Haiti and ultimately coming to the NBA and how that has sort of impacted him and um, made him appreciate every day. Um, so I, I've had a chance to sit down with a number of the players so far, and um, everyone has been great. I, I mean, I think Scal's one of the nicest guys in the NBA. That's what everyone says and, and definitely came off that way. Um, but this is, this seems like a pretty down to earth team. Obviously, when the going gets tough, you, you, that kind of changes, and, and that's starting to happen now. So we'll see um, how 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 the players are or how they're feeling. Um, particularly, we'll, we'll see what happens after Thursday. Um, but it, I've been really impressed with, with how great this team, these players seem as people and also just as they seem as a team um, so far and how, how willing they are to open up to, to members of the media. I love Scal. I love that you did a story on Scal. I'm so excited for him. And I was just so <laughs> devastated for him last night after having read your story about Scal and then watching like everybody just not have a good game last night. I was like, Scal survived the Haitian earthquake and we <laughs> need to bring it every night, all 100%. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I loved it. What do you think about the play that you've seen so far? Like what sort of bright spots, you know, to take a... a <laughs> take a page from Cassidy's book <laughs> after a, a tough game. What are some of the uh, basketball things that you've observed that uh, you think the Blazers can build on? Yeah, I think you even look at that Golden State game. They they were good offensively for, for a lot of the way. You look at um, the game before that, I think they were even better offensively against Philadelphia. I, I think that was probably their best offensive game of the year. Uh they are a good shooting team um, when they're on. And they have a lot of players that are going to um, hurt teams with the three-pointer. And obviously, Damian Lillard is averaging around 30 points or, or so, so far. I mean, he's been taking off almost every night, and that's a good sign to see. I think that this team is going to be one of the better offensive teams in the NBA. 
the big question I think is just going to come down to defense and um, the injuries, especially the big men uh, right now. I think the good sign is when you look at February and Nurkic coming back and at some point Gasol is going to come back. I think that's going to help. And I, I think that could help defensively too, just in terms of rim protection. Um, Philadelphia did score a lot of points oh, in the paint. That's uh, rough. Yeah. Like 84 that, to 40. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I didn't know the number off the top yeah. of my head, but yeah. It's burned into it, my brain. I can't <laughs> scrub it out. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, that, I, I mean, the difficulty right now with Zach Collins out is that they are sort of at a size disadvantage. Um, I, we've seen, I, I, I think uh, Scal have some good moments, but clearly uh, Terry Stoss doesn't see him just jumping into the starting lineup right now. So it seems like they're going to go with an undersized player at sort of the power forward position. They really need Hassan Whiteside to stay healthy, but I, I think there is a lot of hope that this can be a good offensive team. If they can put the defense together and, and do a little bit better as they sort of build that chemistry that the offense can carry them. And that when you look at February um, March, when you want teams to be coming together and hopefully they're getting healthier, that this team could have the personnel to make a real run. So if you're looking on the positives, I think, I think that that's where you look. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So for fans who watch soccer and maybe are listening to this because they heard that you were going to be on, because actually I told some friends that you were going to be on and they were like, I don't watch basketball, but I'm going to listen to that. So for fans who watch soccer who may be listening, what are some of the things about the NBA that you would uh, tell them that they might like and why they might want to turn into the tune into the NBA? I just think that I've always really enjoyed the NBA because of how fast paced a game it is. I'm wondering if that's specifically a reason why soccer fans wouldn't be interested in it, but I I just love that there's always something going on every moment. I think watching an NBA game, particularly in person, is just such a cool experience. I, I, I know some of the atmosphere at games is manufactured with the, the lights and the introductions at the beginning of the games, but I've always loved just sitting in an NBA arena and, and having them announce each player, announce what college they're from, and, and that whole spectacle. It sort of gets you amped up for a game like... I pretty much like no other sport I've been to. And then just seeing how fast paced and some of the individual plays, I, I mean, I think in soccer, obviously there are just individual amazing moments and scoring goal is so hard to do. And you don't see as many of those moments, but appreciating each individual play in each good defensive uh, block or, um, each shot and, and just seeing what it takes to get there. I, I think there's a lot of moments to appreciate in the NBA, even though it's fast paced. If you kind of take a step back and just sort of see what you're watching and, and, and recognize how incredible the athletes are out there. So I don't know. I, I love basketball. I think it's hard to sell it to soccer fans because maybe there's a specific reason why soccer stands out to, to certain fans over other sports, but I think there's a lot that the NBA has to offer. So I think all the soccer fans that followed me for soccer should should, should give NBA a try, give the Blazers a try, um, at least for a little bit. That sounds okay. good. <laughs> um, so we've been compiling a 2019-2020 uh, Blazers playlist. Just kind of things that remind us of this season or specific players, specific moments, achievements. Do you have any songs that you'd like to add to the playlist? <sighs> 
Oh man. Caught, caught me off guard there. I am not a good, uh, good song person. I mean, you got to have like the Shaq diss tracks from uh, Damian Lillard just on there, right? That's great. <laughs> I, I hadn't even thought about that. That's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, that feels like the songs that have actually been making news, but um, I'm sure there's some, I'm sure there's some great songs that I'm not thinking of to describe this season just because I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it before. We'll see if we well, can if you find think of any. Let us know. <laughs> okay. We'll see if we can find Damien's uh, uh, responses and add <laughs> yeah. them to the playlist. That would be great. Well, Jamie, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight and telling us a little, a little bit about yourself and your journey and what you're looking forward to. I know I am looking forward to seeing more of your coverage. Um, what's the best way for people to find your work? Yeah, um, they can go to OregonLive.com slash Blazers, um, or I post everything on Twitter. And I also am pretty great at um, so far at, at communicating with people on Twitter if you have questions or anything. So Twitter is a great place to find my work and ask any questions. And, and my handle is at Jamie B. Goldberg. Great. And uh, yeah, I think that I'm, I'm not sure if – how how overwhelmed you've been by NBA Twitter yet because <laughs> it can be super intense. And, you know, one of the things I've really enjoyed about NBA Twitter is like, you know, of course there are moments, but, um, you know, meeting people in person, like that's always so exciting when you like met somebody over Twitter and then you get to actually meet them in person and see them and like have a face to face. That is super cool. Um, and one of the ways that you or anyone who's listening and wants to uh, meet in person is that Cassidy and I, we have um, a monthly meetup, Women's Hoops and Talk meetup, where we watch a game together and we go to McMinimins on Broadway. This uh, the November one is coming up. It will be on Tuesday for any listeners who want to come down and join us for our meetup. That's going to be Tuesday at McMinniman's on Broadway. The Blazers are taking on Sacramento. So, uh, Jamie, you're probably, you know, busy covering the game, but you're always welcome to come down and uh, meet Blazer fans. And let's see, Cassie, do we have anything else going on? I think that is about what is coming up. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs and you can find the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. You can also follow Blazers Edge at Blazers Edge and be sure to uh, subscribe to the Blazers Edge and the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast in the Blazers Edge podcast feed. Cassidy, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, we love your email. So send us an email with your icebreaker ideas, questions, or maybe what you do after a tough loss. Uh, you can also tweet us those things. But our email is hoopsandtalks at gmail.com. Please send us your icebreaker ideas. We're getting desperate. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can find me at Cassidy Gavin on Twitter. And until next time, go Blazers.